You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. Welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, an hour of news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. I'm Diana Moxon. On today's show, I'm going to be chatting to actor Barrett Brooks and Talking Horse Executive Director Ed Hansen about the new show he's producing prior to retiring and living a happy, pants-free lifestyle. And in the second half of the show, we'll be chatting to Josh Chittam about the 2018-19 We Always Swing jazz series. But first, welcome to the show, Ed and Barrett. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Ed, I was wondering if there's any connection between the fact that last year you were in the gin game, set in a retirement home, and now you're producing Ripcord, also set in a retirement home, and now you're retiring. Are you planning a move anywhere? Um, I already have a room booked at Lenore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, there's, there's something, though, about um, uh, plays of... Um, the older American experiences sort of speak to me at this point in my <laughs> life. And so um, when I saw David Lindsay Hebert is the, is the playwright for this one, and he wrote the book for Shrek. Uh, he wrote uh, Good People, uh, Fuddy Mears, Rabbit Hole, a well-known playwright. And when I saw that he had written a play with two older women as the two main characters, I was immediately drawn to that because sometimes uh, finding really great roles for older women is tough. Um, with plays, sometimes they're just you know somebody's mother or somebody's grandmother. But in this case, they're the leads of the show. And uh, so I got a copy. I read it. I couldn't stop laughing while I was reading it. And um, any time a play can make me laugh out loud continuously while I'm reading it, I think it's worth producing. So uh, up goes Ripcord. I read that it had been commissioned by the Manhattan Theatre Club and that maybe they had commissioned it because you know that was the age of most of their donors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes they have specific act- actors, uh, actors or actresses in mind to play play roles. I don't know that uh, in this particular case, but I did know that it came out of a, a commissioned work. So so you, Ed, you're the producer rather than the director. What is the difference? What does a producer do? Well, the producer um, kind of works with the director to um, set and approve a budget, and then I take care of the cash flow. Uh, during the course of the, the production, um, making sure that small details are are being taken care of, and if if we're having trouble uh, locating like set pieces and stuff like that, uh, I try to step in and and uh, use my network. Um, sometimes I solve the problems myself. For instance, my uh, uh, guest room bedroom furniture is currently on the set. Uh, <laughs> we needed matching twin beds, and we just couldn't find any that looked like you know, regular beds and not hospital beds or dormitory beds. And so um, uh, we came to the house and loaded up my furniture. (laughs) So it's currently on the set. Um, But uh, it's just kind of a a troubleshooting thing and just making sure that that, uh, every little detail is being managed and taken care of so that when we open, everybody's relaxed. Uh, We feel like um, we're on track with where we want to be. Um, any bruised feelings that have happened along the way have been smoothed over. Um, so it's it's sort of a, an overseer. 
And that allows the director to do their job of directing the people in the play. Exactly. And to, to, uh, in this case, her vision of what the play needs to be, that that comes to fruition. I I don't get in her creative way. I, I try to support that. So tell us about Ripcord. It's really a classic odd couple premise. Give us, give us an <laughs> It overview. really, really is. These, uh, these two ladies have been placed together as roommates uh, at the Bristol Place, which is an assisted living facility. Kind of a nice one, uh, a high rise. Uh, and uh, the room uh, has been occupied for quite some time by a woman named Abby. Uh, she likes having the room to herself, although she does not want to pay to have a single room. So she's basically horrible to her roommates so that they ask for transfers out so she can have the room to herself. Well, they've placed a woman named Marilyn in there with her. Marilyn is just a sweetheart. Um, she lets... Uh, everything roll off her back and and uh, so she doesn't really let Abby get to her and uh, it's kind of driving Abby nuts that she's not able to to force Marilyn out they enter into a bet finally uh, where if um, Marilyn wins she gets the, the nice bed by the window because she likes the view if Abby wins Marilyn has to move out and Abby gets the room to herself and so this game of one-upsmanship starts uh, all the way through the play so we we mostly see the setting in the retirement facility but there's one scene that takes place in a haunted house that they visit and another scene they go skydiving together (laughs) so (laughs) although Abby doesn't really want to go (laughs) I won't give it I won't give a whole lot more about it uh, away than that but it's just uh, it's just hilarious all the way through and kind of touching at the end. Um, it's got this really nice ending to it. Uh, it is definitely a comedy, but I would classify this as a, as a dark comedy for sure. There, there are a lot of there are uh, little, very, very edgy places in it, and it's got some strong language in it. So I would rate this as probably an R just because of the language issues. Uh, so, Barrett, you play Scotty in the play. Tell us about Scotty. Oh, well, Scotty is uh, probably the best way to describe him. He's the long-suffering resident, uh, long-suffering resident aide for this facility who's been probably been working with Abby for many, many years, for probably way too long, and just kind of has to take all that she gives him and, you know, with a grain of salt and stuff, to come with a smile <laughs> and just kind of deals with her as he can, as best he can, and... She's constantly ribbing him, constant, just kind of giving him the jabs, and he just smiles and does his job as best he can. And, I mean, the best way I could say it, he's just, oh, he's a very good at his job, let's just say that, <laughs> because he puts up with that for probably way, much longer than I probably could have. So. As Ed was saying before, I think he is probably the world's most patient man. Oh, yes, by far and away. Uh, he's, he just clearly channels the spirit of Job somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> he, he gets that from somewhere. I don't know where God bless his soul. <laughs> Are you that patient in real life? Um, I've heard that. I, 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 I mean, I, I tend to keep everything. I just kind of keep a nice, chill life. I try not to let too much get to me. So, And just by what I do, I kind of have to. So I, I work with kids, and it's kind of hard to... I can't really react and be like, I'm angry. So I kind of lots of times they, they can hit you right with hurt sometimes. <laughs> and you have to be like, okay, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm just going to go out to my car and cry for a little bit I'll be back <laughs> but you know but yes I've, I've heard many times that I do have that kind of patience I, I I guess I do so so does this feel like a role that was made for you not too much of a stretch to put your personality into the role of Scotty it, it really wasn't I mean because I it, the second I read the role I was like that's that's totally me that's what I do on a daily basis and I loved it I loved kind of just the way he dealt with things and how many times he's just sitting there and just taking deep breaths 
and just dealing with what she has to give them. And you know, every once in a while, giving a jab. Not that I do that with kids, but you know, every once in a while, he'll he'll give a jab every once and then just to. Because Abby you know. really tries to provoke Scotty. I mean, she says some really really nasty things oh, yes. Yes, she, not only to him but I mean to everybody and often he's the witness to that and he tries to say you know you could be a little nicer yes, Abby the best way he can he, <laughs> he tries to keep the civility in this but as you said like their one upsmanship just kind of keeps raising and raising and the stakes keep getting higher and he finds himself in this middle of this crazy situation so but of course, like like many people in, I guess, retirement communities or any kind of institutions, we were saying this before the show started, that they really don't want to be there. They're, it isn't their first choice. People in retirement homes often would rather be in their own home. People in hospital would rather not be sick. Yeah. Children at adventure clubs sometimes would rather just be home playing yes. video games and yes. not being uh, not yes. being helped, uh, <laughs> given creative outlets in the afternoon. And, um, tell us the story you told us before about singing one time at oh. a retirement community. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't planning on putting that on the air, but um, <laughs> you don't have to mention. The no, I do. Community. I do. Um, I do some Sinatra singing uh, around town, and uh, I I donate my services uh, every so often to an Alzheimer's unit. Um, my mom died of Alzheimer's, and so that that's kind of a, an important uh, and significant cause for me. And uh, I always enjoy uh, visiting with the residents and so forth. Well, they had a, a new resident uh, that had come that was uh, kind of cantankerous anyway, just by nature, and, and the Alzheimer's was making that aspect of her personality worse uh and she was new and so she was not comfortable yet she uh, felt um kind of ill at ease being in all this new environment and having all these people she didn't know around her and um as i was setting up uh, they told me she has sort of a, a sensitivity to noise uh, loud noises so um, we need to be kind of careful with that so I had turned my amplifier down a little more than I normally did but she she took a seat right in front of it and as I started singing she put her hands over her ears and began talking very loudly over my singing he's terrible why did you invite him here he's his singing is awful uh, it's it's hurting my ears make him stop uh, and it's so difficult to just tune that out and keep singing. Uh, and it kind of went on for quite some time. I finally uh, asked the, the uh, social director if they could locate her to a different spot in the room so that she wasn't right in front of the amplifier. But it's just, it's very difficult, you know, trying to keep working and doing your job and everything and, and being entertaining and witty. And when you've got somebody who's heckling you from the audience like. well and, and that the reason we had talked about that was there's a there's a section in the play that um i i was going to read and and have scotty read his part and, and i'll read abby because it just is it's such a barb it's so mean and this is typical of who abby is so they're having a conversation um abby has been to see a haunted house production that scotty is in and she didn't really want to go but she went to she went because she thought that scotty was going to do a favor for her which didn't pan out so when they get back she says to scotty you obviously have your favorites and i am not one of them don't say that i try to treat every resident with the same kindness and respect <laughs> but you may not believe this but i want you to be happy well you failed because i'm not i know and i'm sorry you're sorry i'm the one who dragged herself to that asinine spook house for nothing 
You're a terrible actor, by the way. Did you just say I'm a terrible actor? I mean, that's so cruel. So as, hurts, a, hurts as an every actor, every time I hear it, every time. <laughs> As an me. actor, when you're when you're performing that line, I mean, yeah, I mean, you must your own soul must be slightly crushed by that. Oh, oh my goodness! Every like I said, every single time I hear it, I'm just like, oh, keep pushing forward. You're doing your best. So, Ed, tell us who else is in the play. Well, uh, everybody probably wants to know who's who's playing Abby. Of course, <laughs> yes. it's a great who can, role. Who can embrace this witchiness? <laughs> Quite, quite that much. Um, Maggie Henson is a very seasoned uh, actress here in town. Uh, an older lady, obviously, since she's playing Abby. Uh, she's four foot eleven and maybe weighs a hundred pounds, but I don't think so. Uh, just a little spitfire of a of a woman, and uh, so much fun to work with. And uh, she really is um, delightful as Abby. Um, a lady who's um, appearing on the Talking Horse stage for the first time, Carol Bryan, is playing. Marilyn, uh, I think Carol's husband is a retired pastor, and so if you <laughs> can kind of embody the pastor's wife, that's sort of Marilyn anyway. Uh, so Carol is is just naturally kind of yeah. suited for that role, I She's think. Absolutely perfect. Uh, Barrett is also new to the Talking Horse stage. This is his first show with us, um, and then we've got a trio of um, really seasoned actors to sort of fill out the ensemble. Jim Maloney uh, is playing the zombie butler. And also uh, Colleen's husband. Colleen is um, Marilyn's daughter, and that's being played by Dana Baki. And then Terry Schoonover is playing Abby's son. Is it Lewis? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, he's Benjamin. Lewis Benjamin. Lewis is when he's in that. Uh, okay, ben- Benjamin's yeah. the son. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, he plays uh, three Couple, different roles. Course, that's yeah. why I'm getting a little confused. He also plays Marilyn's son, who runs the skydiving company. Yeah. Uh, and he plays uh, a maniac in the haunted house. <laughs> so it's very it's well. very fun to be in the ensemble in this show because they get to play a multitude of different characters, and some of them are way over the top, and and then other characters are uh, quite wonderful and quite tender and and. Um, uh, very human. So uh, I, I've talked to all three of those actors that are playing the ensemble, and uh, they say it's some of the best work they've ever tackled, yeah. just because of the the fact that they get to play these wonderfully diverse characters all in one evening. There, there were so many great lines in the play too. I mean, I, I read it and I was the same as you. And I was laughing out loud reading right. it. It's it's just uh, fabulous. Um, um, I, I was thinking when I read it that for me, ultimately, you know, my sympathies were, were with Abby, even though she was really mean. Um, but and the, even from the outset, I felt more sympathy towards Abby than I did towards Happy Go Lucky Marilyn, who and Marilyn has yeah. a great family life mm-hmm. and she's got a great support team. And those things are missing in Abby's life. So um, it's one of the reasons why her bitterness and her sarcasm. Um, has been sort of finely honed <laughs> because it's a defense mechanism, I think. Who, who, I mean, do you feel the same way? Is, is Abby get your sympathies or do you feel sorry I mean, for Marilyn? I mean, the first time I read it, I, I definitely, of course, when you first read it, Abby comes off. It's this terribly prickly pear, but as I read, I started to understand where the hurt came from. You know, I just thought of just the, the line with the thorn in his paw. That's all it was, is that she was just reaching out because she had had a lot of things happen and and she was just kind of done. And she was just like, I don't want people around me. I just want to do what I do. And if people are going to get around me, either you're going to get run over or you're just going to have to take what I give you. And in some respects, that's 
kind of sad and I, my heart went out to him simply because I'm like oh I just want to give you a hug and say it's going to be okay and let's go out for coffee and you know become best friends but you know I I can understand she wouldn't have gone no she wouldn't no. have no she would have given me a terrible tongue lashing and once again I would have to excuse myself to go to the car and cry so. <laughs> like many other Lindsay Abair plays um, there are a lot of uncomfortable topics that he covers and he said in an interview if I'm going to write a comedy it shouldn't be a surprise that underneath it there's pain and hurt and desperate need so talk about some of the issues that he brings up in the play that are those kind of those those dark moments well I I, I kind of mentioned um, uh, Abby uh, with her um, pushing people away and where where a lot of that comes from um, she's um, uh, a person who's uh, kind of had a rough go with with family particularly um, she tends to insulate herself um, from from the hurt um, with these defense mechanisms of, of sarcasm and, and bitterness um, her son uh, that we meet Benjamin that we meet in the play um, brings a lot of baggage with him and he's caused her so much grief over the years and she's tried repeatedly to be in his corner and cheer him on and uh, hope for better things and when her hopes are always dashed you know after a while she's kind of given up on him and uh, so that comes out in one really beautiful scene yeah um uh, the the beauty of this of this uh, playwright's work really is that he has equal talents in the comedy specter and in really poignant drama, uh, and he's able to mix those freely and keep the story flowing. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the reasons why I like this script so much is because he can just ease in and out of that um, that uh, blend so smoothly uh, that it seems like it's a very natural progression. I mean, he touches on domestic violence. He touches on, say, as you said, fa- family estrangement. He right. touches on drug addiction. There are well, all and, sorts and, of issues that he brings and up. And some of those life. issues are in Marilyn's life, too. So yeah. uh, even though she presents herself as being a very optimistic and happy person with a great home life, um, you know, she's had her share of, of stuff, too, that comes out, uh, which is kind of an every an everyman situation. We all have baggage. And uh, whether or not it's you know something as as dramatic as uh, domestic violence, or whether it's just simply that you've um, you know had some really bad luck in your in your life, um, and it's you've had to pick yourself off of the curb several times. You know, uh, we all have gone through those those low moments as well as those high moments. And that's part of being human, and that's part of what's wonderful about being human. Because if it was all highs all the time, we wouldn't realize we were all highs all the time. You know, you have to have those valleys in order to make those peaks more significant in your life. And, and the play has has many peaks in it. So wh- one of the scenes that is really memorable, and I'm interested to see how you stage it, is they are in an airplane. And I'm not giving the game away because I mean, the, the whole show is called Ripcord. <laughs> right. So yeah. no. where do you find a ripcord on a parachute? Um, how, how on earth do you stage that? Because it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about the, the, the play is uh, when I was reading it, that was the scene that scared me because I wasn't really sure how to go about staging that and Kate Bussell who's directing this for us um, has worked in Black Box before and I, I think she she knows you have to suspend reality of course it's not going to look like they're actually skydiving but 
you can camp it up to the point where the audience is going to be laughing at the dialogue and at the situation and they can laugh at the campiness also so we're using some projections okay and we have um mounting uh, getting mounted on the ceiling this weekend two very large noisy fans so that we will have the fan noise <laughs> and the air blowing yeah. um and the audience is so close they will get to experience some of that as well so yeah, and I've, I've seen this scene many many times as you can imagine and to this day i still crack up at it it's absolutely fantastic they it's, she did a masterful job of yeah it's tandem it. skydiving and so both of the older ladies as they skydive are strapped to one of the other characters in the show and they dive off of the plane and by diving off of the plane they dive out of the light and then they reappear in the light later <laughs> as they're floating through the air and they're talking to one another screaming at one another while they're floating yeah. through the air it's, it's hilarious <laughs> it is absolutely hilarious we didn't use a fly system or anything like that because black box doesn't have the capability of you know disappearing into the rafters or or moving off into the wings we don't have rafters or wings so we had to create it in a in a way that would be fun for the audience and fun for the actors and i think we've done that so have you seen have you seen the play done elsewhere i have not okay so you haven't seen how anyone else deals with it no and that's probably a good thing (laughs) because we're very we're very low-tech low-budget you know we 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 focus on the fun of the script and not so much the technical aspect so we're we're bringing in technical elements but we're still making it very fun and very campy Lindsay abair says uh, in an interview i read he says i try not to edit myself thinking about the kind of making making uh, producers and directors do difficult things I try not to edit myself because the collaborators that I have worked with in my career have solved any difficult challenge I presented to them right. so as a producer director do you like take comfort from the fact that you can you can generally in any play look at how other people have staged it or do you just want, every time you do a play, do you just want to do it in your own way and do it in a new way? You know, I guess the beauty of, of uh, me running Talking Horse is that uh, as an actor, I'm always in awe of what the director comes up with. And so I, because I approach it from an actor's standpoint, I'm not worrying about the creativity part of, of the staging. I just worry about fleshing out my character and so forth. So as I'm reading a script, I'm always drawn to characters. I just love every character in this show. And um, I knew that the trick was going to be to find a director that was not scared of the script and the challenges that it brought in staging. Uh, And Kate has just been terrific with all of that. We talked about, you know, how to stage that that, um, uh, parachuting scene uh, as I was interviewing her. Uh, you know for the position and she said well we'll just use some projections and maybe some fan noise and (laughs) and we're just going to make it so much fun that we don't even have to worry about whether or not they're actually falling through the air and I thought exactly that's perfect so um, yeah I just hire the right people you know, I, I I push the right buttons and hire the right people, but I don't have to necessarily have all of the the uh, imagery behind it. There's another scene later in the play that I was just cracking up, and uh, um, she has, as you say, they have a bet when, uh, and the bet is that Marilyn has to make Abby scared, and Abby has to make Marilyn angry, angry. Yeah. Um, and so this, this is what this is what 
keeps building through the play. They do worse and worse things to each other. But there's one play avoiding a um, a harness and the back of a bathroom door. Oh yes, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes. To come and see. <laughs> yes, please do. If nothing else, just for that scene. Oh, it's, that is the fast at its purest. It's so oh, good. My so goodness. good. <laughs> I will just say that when we're rehearsing that scene, that's the one that tends to get the most laughs as we're going through it, because it's just me and Carol back there, and it's just, it's a fun thing. <laughs> Let me just say that. I've probably said too much already. How do you it. keep a straight face? if Because you you are on stage for part of that. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Um, you, I, the only thing I can say, it just comes through repetition. Just, you know, you do it a lot, and even sometimes... You, you just have to sometimes you have to bite your tongue because I work with such great actors and they just do such great work that you just have to pinch yourself or you know think of whatever you think of to get yourself back in there sometimes you just have to swallow it just swallow the laughter because man <laughs> even to this day when we're going through rehearsals we still crack up we've heard these lines probably a million times at this point and we still make each other laugh and that's just a testament to how great this cast is and how great this script is and how great this director is it's I can't say more about this show because it's amazing so Ed, tell us how and when people can see Ripcord, this amazing okay. comedy that they're going to well, love. Ripcord opens a week from today. Uh, we run August 10th through the 12th and then the 16th through the 19th. And all the shows are in the evening at 7.30 except the Sunday shows. Those are 2 o'clock matinees. And the house and the box office always open 30 minutes prior to. You can get tickets online at TalkingHorseProductions.org or you can call the reservation line, which is the cell phone in my pocket, 573-268-1381. But don't call right now. Call in about two minutes. It's on silent. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So it's August 10th, 11th, and 12th. Right. And then the following weekend, 18... Uh, 16 through 19. Oh, 16 through 19. We run okay. Thursday through Sunday that second week. Okay, an extra day. Right. Um, and now it's, you have 70 seats in the theater, is that right? We have 70 seats, but in the uh, process of kind of moving some furniture pieces around to set up for some of the projections, we may be losing a few seats. So we may be down to about 65 for this show. Okay, and this show... We're really still working at not not taking off the legs of the audience members <laughs> as, as we roll <laughs> carts behind them. There's a lot of moving pieces. <laughs> this show really should sell out. It, it is going to be a beautiful play to see. Um, it's going to have everybody talking. And so do book your and tickets. And great light summertime fair. You know, it's yeah. just uh, if, if you need a good summer movie because you need to laugh well you need a good summertime play once in a while too but it will it will make you go away and think about things too. oh yeah, so it has oh, yeah. <laughs> double capacity definitely thank you so much ed hansen and barrett brooks their new play ripcord by david lindsay abair opens next friday the um 11th 10th, the 10th 10th sorry the 10th of august at talking horse theater and it runs for two weekends you can get tickets at talking horse productions.org right okay thank you so much thank you you I will be in the audience for sure you're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 KOPN Columbia and after the break we'll be back with Josh Chittam and a look at the upcoming We Always Swing Jazz series do not go away We'll get back now to Diana, I think. Yeah. 
We will. Well, we, I was hoping that Josh was going to be in the studio, but I guess he is on his way. So we'll just switch the order of events here and I will read the um, upcoming events for the week of August the 3rd. So, um, Welcome back. Uh, this is still Speaking of the Arts. And as usual, we're going to look at some of the events that are coming up over the next few days in and around Colombia. First Friday has rolled around once again. And here is a quick rundown on some of the events going on in the North Village Arts District this evening, most of which run from 6 till 9 p.m. At Sega Browdis Gallery, they're going to be launching their August exhibit. Um, at the Dogwood Artist Workspace at 1107 East Broadway, you can see Decomposition, an ekphrastic art show with the collected works of Sasha Koch and poetry performances by Victoria Simmons from 7.30 till 9pm. At All Street Studios, they're going to be unveiling their new art show called Sense of Place, which features works by Linda Hoffman. At Drinkcraft at 300 North 10th Street, they're hosting lightning wood burning demonstrations at various times through the evening. And at Wildest World, they're going to be having a first Friday art swap, so you can bring an artwork in and swap it for another that catches your eye. At Fretboard Coffee, there'll be performances by Clayton Hicklin at 6pm and Austin Jones at the Boot Heel Boys at 7.30pm. Meanwhile, over at the Blue Note, Wheeler Walker Jr. performs at 8pm. Tickets for that show cost $15. And at Rose Music Hall, the soulful Austin duo Greyhounds are on the billing with local funk rock jazz group Oversight Committee. Their show starts tonight at 9.30 and tickets are $7. For theatre lovers, there's also plenty to choose from tonight. Pace Children Theatre's production of Disney's The Lion King is on through the weekend at the Hickman High School Auditorium. Their show starts at 7pm tonight and tomorrow, with matinee performances at 2pm both tomorrow and Sunday. Tickets cost $12 for adults and $8 for children. Maplewood Barnes' production of the musical thriller Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, is in its second weekend. The show starts at 8pm tonight and tickets are $12 and the production may not be suitable for children. And in Jefferson City, Scene One Theatre is in their opening weekend of Tuesdays with Maury, with father and son actors Tom and Jack Renner. The show starts at 7pm tonight and tomorrow and continues next weekend. Tickets for that show are $15. On Saturday morning, Access Arts could use your help bright and early to help them haul bricks and other materials to the site of their new kiln up in Clark. If you're interested in helping out, meet at Access Arts at 7.30am and be ready to haul some bricks. Downtown tomorrow, Yellow Dog Bookstore celebrates its fifth birthday from 10am to 8pm with plenty of events and giveaways. At the Boone History and Culture Centre, there's a new art show opening at the Mont Mini Gallery called Building Community Through Art. And we talked to the um, to the, the curators on last week's show. The centre is open from 11am till 4.30pm and there is no cost to see the show. In Arrow Rock, it's opening night for their new comedy, The 39 Steps. A two-time Tony-winning whodunit with 150 characters played by a cast of just four people. Catch it on Saturday at 2 or 8pm or on Sunday at 2. Tickets are $39. Columbia's own Bernie Sisters perform with Madagascar native Ina Cook at the Bridge in Jefferson City at 7pm on Saturday. Tickets are $6. And at the Blue Note, you can hear One More Round, a tribute to Johnny Cash with vocalists Bill Forness and Sharon Newell. The show starts at 8.30, tickets are $6, and the evening is hosted by KOPN's own Woody Atkins of The Real Deal Country Show. On Sunday... 
The Museum of Art and Archaeology has a docent led tour of glass through the ages from 2 to 3 p.m. So you'll be looking at works in their collection. At Ragtag, you can attend a sing along performance of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine at 3.15 on Sunday or next Tuesday at 18.45 p.m. if you miss Sunday's show. There are another two showings where you don't get to sing along, I think, on Monday and Tuesday. But uh, if you want to sing along, the performances are Sunday at 3.15 and Tuesday at 6.45 p.m. And Sunday evening, the We Always Swing Jazz Series kicks off its 24th season with a Columbia Jazz Orchestra concert on the roof at the Broadway Hotel from 5 till 8 p.m. Tickets cost $30 and include hors d'oeuvres. Next Wednesday evening at 5.30pm, Resident Arts invites you to a community feedback session for their Science Rising mural, soon to be painted on the old 63 retaining wall just south of the junction with Broadway. Check the Resident Arts Facebook page for the location of the feedback session. Next Thursday in Jefferson City, there are two opening nights to choose from. One is Capital City Productions, which opens Shrek the Musical. The dinner buffet doors open at 6.30 and the show starts at 7.30 and tickets for that are $38. Or your other option is at the Jefferson City Little Theatre, where they're performing Mary Poppins. Tickets cost $20 and that show starts at 7.30pm. So that is the roundup of the next seven days in and around Columbia. And I guess Mike and I will just have a chat. (laughs) in the absence of We Always Swing jazz series. Well, I was going to ask you, Diana, if you don't mind, um, while we're waiting for Josh, the Sweeney Todd performance, is that, uh, can you tell me when that's going on tonight and it it continues how long? Is it the last performances this weekend? I think it goes on another weekend. So I think this is the middle weekend of it. So if you don't catch it this weekend, you can go next weekend. Is that one of I'd like to see it. That's (laughs) one of my favorite plays. Well, and if you do miss it at Maplewood Barn, I I think I'm right in saying that Talking Horse are also going to do the same show this fall. So there is another chance to see it. In fact, that was one of the things that I was going to ask Ed about. uh, We didn't have time to do. Is Ed still here? Haven't come back in? No. But one of the things that I noticed this year is there's a lot of doubling up, and maybe I just haven't been paying attention in the past, but there have been two Shrek the Musicals. (laughs) I thought thought I heard that too. I'm like, am I hearing things? (laughs) One that was at the uh, University, Missouri Theatre, Department of the University. The other is uh, in Jeff City by Capital City Productions. There have been two Mary Poppins, (laughs) one over at Arrow Rock, and then now in Jefferson City. There were two cabarets, one in Jefferson City and one coming up this fall at uh, Columbia Rental entertainment company hmm. there were two tuesdays with maury one going on right now in jefferson <laughs> city and one coming up um, at talking horse also this fall and then the uh, sweeney todd demon barbara and are, Street. are they are they sharing actors and actresses are they are the same people playing the same roles or are they I mean, that would be hilarious <laughs> it would i don't know i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> well uh, sweeney I, I have i have a an old recorded version on lp of Sweeney Todd on Broadway with Angela Lansbury playing uh, the uh, the butcher's wife or, or the uh, I'm sorry the uh, the barber's wife um, and uh, I forget uh, maybe Peter O'Toole I think uh, you know anyways it's a whole bunch of just fantastic actors and actresses that were that did that and I've never seen the play uh, I, I've only heard it on on this uh, on this album that a friend gave me many years ago and I've always thought I need to go see that if it ever well, comes around well you should go and see both of them and you can kind of do a compare and contrast yeah, and you know <laughs> see we'll who plays the best Bob's wife or something, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
What well, else have you been to see this summer that you've enjoyed? I went, uh, was it Dance on Bones, remember? That, uh, in fact, because of you, thank you, by the way, uh, you had interviewed the director and maybe uh, the stage guy or something, I forget, Matt, and I forget the other guy. I think the director and the producer, yeah. Yeah, and they uh, gave us a couple tickets to the show and actually it was really fun really enjoyable it was like a audience participation sort of thing and very different from a was typical, it what you expected no i really had not although i really wasn't i, I remember the same day somebody said something like you have to go do something that you're kind of out of your comfort zone something that you wouldn't normally go do and that was for me certainly i mean i, I like theater but i typically you know traditional theater and not not where I mean, there really wasn't even a stage, so, so to speak, with that one. And it was really, really interesting. Though. I, I have really taken that suggestion to heart. Um, it was Josh from the University Concert Series yeah. that suggested that, that we yeah. should all go and see something that we don't expect to like. Mm. So I had gone to see Asleep at the Wheel, which was part of Hot Summer Nights. And right, I am right. not a country. Oh, it's not really country. It's Western Swing, I think is what they call it. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, in, in, in my ears, it all kind of blends in together as slightly country-ish. Mm. Um, and so I went along to see that and and they were amazing musicians clearly top of their game right, they've right. been doing this for 40 years oh, yeah, yeah. um i i can't say that i would go back it's just not really my kind Your of thing. music i'm you know i'm a disco girl sure. it's got to have you know four <laughs> solid beats it's got to really? be moving at like 112 beats per minute at least <laughs> <laughs> But it was good to go and see it and experience a different kind of music. And then uh, last week, we had two composers on the show who were here for the Mizzou International Composers Festival. Really interesting guy, the first guy you had on the air. The managing director was amazing. And, And he had opened my ears to how to listen to it. So I had said to him, I find it kind of jangly and discordant. And what am I missing? I remember, yeah. And he said, think of it as sound rather than music and there's a great quote that we use from Edgar Varys who's a French American composer from the 20th century and and he once he was being at one point he was being criticized for his music and he said if the word music offends you then don't use it (laughs) and so I went along to the seven world premieres concert with seven of these international composers Mm -hmm. that were in town and I tried to listen with with open ears and think of it like a soundscape I'd close my eyes and I would imagine what kind of movie I was watching Hmm. am I in a haunted house am I on water am I flying what is going on in the movie that I'm listening to these sounds Right. right now was it effective yeah, that really helped. That made a difference. Now, I won't say that I loved all of them. Right. I definitely had three that were, for me, outstanding favorites. The two girls that were on the show uh, had beautiful works, mm-hmm. um, and I and I loved both of those works. And then there was, uh, I think we played his piece of his music the week before, um, a Vietnamese composer called Viet yeah. Quang, or Vietnamese American. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. And his work was the, was the last one they played, and it was full of such joy and strange sounds mm. very, very musical and a, a great if I was a clarinet player what a fun piece of music <laughs> she was she was clarinetting off the stage it was so awesome that's great <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's uh, it's good to expose ourselves to other stuff you know I, I have two relatively young children so I'm always exposing myself to to artists and and uh, writers more than anything of children's work and I've actually had an idea actually to do a show uh, to talk to um, writers 
for young people, you know, people who write children's books. Uh, there's some really remarkable stuff out there, and and I would I, mean, I would never have even gone there, you know, were it not for you know just having to read something to my son or something like that, you know. But I think we're surrounded by so many things that I mean, the great majority of stuff we're unfamiliar with, you know. And then we have this small sort of pocket around us, all of us, and then it's different for everybody. But everybody has their stuff that they're used to and the stuff that they're you know the way they were brought up, cultural, social stuff, or whatever. And pretty much outside of that, you know, you know, most people don't go there very often. Yeah, you, you I mean, know? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> but I now mean, I am going to. Well, yeah. and and I think it's I, I think it's human nature. You, you you tend to stay with the in the in the environment where you're familiar and comfortable. I mean, I think it, although you know, obviously it it it's a it's a great benefit to get out of there sometimes. You know, you know you've, you've traveled extensively, have you not? I, I have. I've traveled a lot, I and mean, as as have you. And uh, so I have been exposed to different kinds of music. And one of the things I was talking to, I think, off air to the two composers last week with was I used to live in Indonesia. Mm. And wow. in Bali, they have, well, across Indonesia, they have something called gamelan music, which is um, played, uh, they're kind of like big, God, what should we even like? Not cymbals, not drums, but it's... Mm. Uh, uh, a melodic kind of thing that you hit. It's, it's made out of metal, though. It's made out of metal, mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't have a time signature that we recognize. It is I don't know what the word is. It doesn't it doesn't have a regular beat, mm-hmm. and so I, and it sounds very evocative. It really you can conjure up the landscapes of Bali mm-hmm. and the the food and and the you know the beauty of Bali and and uh, the rice fields when you hear gamelan music, but. If you play it for more than three minutes, I am tearing my hair out <laughs> because I can't follow the beat. And it, mm. I think somehow, you know, our, our hearts kind of correspond to a regular beat. And when you listen think, to something that doesn't have a regular beat, yeah. it's like seeing somebody color outside the lines. I can tell mm. I like to control things. Mm. You know, coloring outside the lines has that same like, <gasps> there's a line there, keep within the lines. Right. So, <laughs> so gamelan music for me was um, mm. is beautiful and evocative, but just in very, very short Amounts. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the about the heart connection. I mean, if you look at native music more than anything, you'll hear. I mean, it's all drums. I mean, and I don't care if you're look, talking about Native American or if you go to Africa or to uh, you know the the middle of Australia, uh, you find a, a tremendous. Uh, I mean, just a huge incidence of drumming and very much. Uh, you can hear the heartbeat actually you can the rhythm of the of the jungle the rhythm of the heat the rhythm of the body it's all sort of connected for those for those people and uh i'm sure that that's eventually got you know uh built into modern music you know and i think that's one of the reasons why we dig it so much is that beat I think so. And the, the weird thing is when I have traveled to places that have a very different style of music and sometimes you get caught up and you buy, you know, you buy a CD from an artist that you hear and it, mm. it feels so, um, so now and, and, and so much part of your life. And then you go home and you play it and mm. there's something missing. It doesn't quite sound the same. And you think, what, what was I hearing when I was on holiday or in that place that right. I don't now hear at home? It doesn't fit the surrounding somehow. It has a different resonance mm. when you're listening to it within its culture than when you take it home and you're playing it in your living room where there are walls and you know a sofa. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, work. You know, I found uh, f- listening to music in another language is a great way to learn the language 
for me, I speak pretty good German, and when I was learning German, I would listen to German music and just read the lyrics of the songs and listen as you know, listen to the music as it was being played or whatever. And I, I don't know, maybe that's you know, everybody has a different way of learning, but but it's also a really interesting way to get a feel for. Uh, for localized language, you know what I mean, slang and and uh, uh, a dialect that maybe wouldn't be taught in school because musicians speak uh, the street language, sort of. You, you know what right. I mean? And uh, I, to this day, I have some some old uh, German records that I can put them on and, and and sing them word for word. You know, every <laughs> every song on the whole album, and and remember thinking, hey, I I remember what that means, and that's that's almost how I learned how to use that phrase or something like that. You know, is one of them 99 Luftballon? <laughs> by Nina you know it's not although although that was uh, that, that was one that always we always got a kick out of over the years you know the 99 red balloons were you in Germany when that came out I was uh, gosh I I think I was still here I was in Germany from uh, maybe 19 uh, I guess it was middle of 1989 until around 93 or so I think it was before that I think uh, 99 Luftballon came out in maybe 85 because I think I was in college when that when that was happening yeah at the latest and so maybe even maybe slightly earlier because I was I'd studied German until I was 18 and so I was I was very excited because I think really? it got to number one in the British charts yeah. and so I could understand the words but I dropped German at 18 so I feel like well. I think I was still studying it <laughs> at that time yeah that was a that was a great song in fact one of the one of the rare you know and they actually translated it in, into English mm. and the original of course was in was in German and I I I, I think I actually prefer the English version. Oh, I prefer the German version <laughs> by far. <laughs> well, I just like the Captain Kirk reference, I think, more than anything. And that just that just comes off the tongue better in English. <laughs> Outside of Nena and Kraftwerk, Kraftwerk. I'm not sure. Fun, 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 after yeah. Autobahn. Yeah. I'm not sure I know any other German Well, the, the, uh, the, um, the big one for me was a, a gentleman whose name was Herbert Grünemeyer. And he is like... Um, I don't know, you know, he has he has a band, but as an individual, you know, maybe considered like the Paul Simon of Germany or something, just super talented guy, great, great songwriter and a talented musician who always surrounded himself with great musicians as well. And um, yeah, he he was my go-to guy for, for, for that stuff. And, you know, prolific too, probably 20, 30 albums at this point. He, he was around in the 80s when I was when I was there and he's still making music today, I think. Because you know? the difficulty is if you don't record in English then you're pretty much only going to be heard in your own country mm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, so bands that sing in English seem to have a huge advantage over uh, native language bands. Let me, isn't, let that, me, isn't that amazing actually? Considering the, the percentage of English speaking population on the planet, relatively speaking, it's, I mean there's 300 million here and then you've got you know I don't know you've got under 500 million people on the overall I would say that speak English as a native language that's less than 10% of the entire population of the earth yet yet if you don't write a song in English you're not going to get it out I don't know it's weird do you um, let me ask you do you know anything about the Eurovision Song Contest I don't 
Uh, well, it's been, <laughs> this is my favorite night of the year. It's the largest huh, cool. televised event that is not sport in the world. And it's been going since really? 1956 when it that started. It's not sport. <laughs> right. Interesting caveat. Huh? <laughs> it started as a song for Europe and it started in 56 after the war. And the idea was that it would uh, bring countries together, but also apparently it was a way of testing the, the alarm signals throughout, huh? uh, broadcast alarm signals throughout Europe. Huh. So um, it started off with about eight countries and there was France, Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, England, maybe Spain, Italy, and they would present a song and they'd be sung in the local language and then the rest of the countries would would score them, give them a vote, and they'd be announced, like, this year's song for Europe is, um, you know, Ma Petite Oiseau by someone in France, or whoever it was, and then whoever won the contest, the next year that country hosted it. Huh, cool. Now, flash forward 60 plus years, and this is still going on. The Eurovision Song Contest is this huge event that is broadcast across Europe, across Australia. Australians love it. And apparently across China a couple of years ago. I think it didn't get broadcast this year. And so for the 60th anniversary, they let Australia enter as a kind of a gimmick and of course the whole of Australia just went nuts for this because they get up at 3am in the morning to watch you know the Eurovision Song Contest Um, anyway now Australia is here to stay so they do also perform every year and it has produced artists such as ABBA the reason Hmm. ABBA is famous is they won the Eurovision Song Contest with Waterloo back in 1974 (laughs) I'll be darned in Brighton in England Um, and Sweden has won a lot of times a country that has won more than any other I think is Ireland they really embrace it they won three out of four years in a row in the mid-1990s. Well, a great musical um, tradition there. Yeah. Clearly. Recently, yeah. a famous act was, or, or a singer was Conchita Wurst, who was a, a, a drag queen from Austria. <laughs> and she did an amazing song called Rise Like a Phoenix, which should have been a soundtrack for a, a James Bond film. Um, but lots of people, Katrina and the Waves. They, sure. They, but the last time that England won was 1999. Katrina and the Waves uh, won for us. Um, for us. Celine. <laughs> for them. <laughs> Celine Dion as one for Switzerland. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed Switzerland. Exactly. Yeah. So there seems to be some pretty loosey-goosey rules about who you can have singing for you. But one of the things why I thought of it was back in the day, you had to sing in your native language. Mm. Um, but then they changed the rules and so everybody started singing in English. And, uh, and now it's kind of about 70%, 30%. 70% sing in English and 30% sing in their native in language. language. Um, there was three years ago, the Ukraine one, and I think they were singing in Ukrainian. Uh, and that was a big political vote. It was mm. the year that Russia had invaded Crimea. Mm-hmm. And so Europe voted uh, to support Ukraine. <laughs> so there's a lot of political voting goes on. And that, that's its criticism. Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland all vote for each other. <laughs> uh, the former Yugoslavian countries all vote for each other. Spain and Portugal vote for each other. Nobody votes for England. <laughs> Apparently Poor we're nobody's English. friend. <laughs> even even worse now that we're Brexiting. What what part of England are you from? The northwest of England, a town called Preston in Lancashire. Lancashire. Yeah. Isn't that a st- that's mentioned in one of the Beatles songs, right? In the, Burnley, something, something walls of Lancashire, and 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 Burn Blackburn, Lancashire. Gosh, it's it's Blackburn, Lancashire. Ten thousand holes or something. What's it, do, do you have <laughs> any idea what that. that reference is about? <laughs> How many holes are in the wall of Blancashire, Lancashire, or whatever? Blackburn, Lancashire. <laughs> Blackburn, I, I don't know. Sorry, Beatles fans, and my husband who'll 
Oh, well, I, I, smacking I'm, his hand against his forehead. Like, ah! I can't believe you don't know that. I, yeah. love, I love the Beatles, but I, I do not know <laughs> what that reference was. So. Yeah, me, me neither. But anyway, the Eurovision Song Contest was broadcast in America for the first time three years ago. Huh. They had managed to sell the idea to Logo TV and, and they, they picked it up and uh, broadcast it, which was kind of a shame because in the old days, you could just stream it live from Eurovision.tv website. But once it had a contract in America, they blocked the, uh, the stream coming into America. So we had of to do <laughs> ever right. more sophisticated in, in, in means. typical American fashion. <laughs> <laughs> we found a way around it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't care for the Logo TV voiceover. They just didn't really seem to get it it's yeah. it's it's very campy and it's very if you get a good commentator so graham norton does the voiceover for the bbc and, and, and so yeah he's, he's awesome it, right? <laughs> but it is it is really worth seeing every, it's an it's an annual event it's an annual event so it's in may about the second or third weekend in may and and every american i talk to about it says no i've never heard of it yeah and and these are um established bands or new bands you have to write a new piece of music or what it is has it? to be a new piece of music sometimes they are established bands in uh-huh. their own country mm-hmm. and sometimes you know sometimes they're, they're not. not i think in the uk for the past few years we've tended to uh, you can you can vote in your own country some countries really go to town on this sweden has a three-week contest it travels all around sweden swedes love the eurovision song contest in england we're a bit sniffy about no. it and so we tend to choose now we have six people who've maybe competed in the voice or britain's got right. talent or something and right, then we right, right. we put those out we have a one a, a tv show one night and then you can just public vote you know call this number and vote for act number one and so that's how we choose our eurovision song contest entry but like one year we entered bonnie tyler sounds like it's rife for abuse oh, the system. I, I, <laughs> I could vote more than once i think <laughs> I don't think. Well, I don't know if you, you you can actually vote. You can vote up to ten times, I think, something like that. Um, I, yeah, you can certainly for the big Eurovision Song Contest yeah. when you're voting. You can't vote for your own country though no. when you're voting oh, on the really? night. You have to vote. Yeah, for... vote for another country. Huh, yeah. Interesting. So I usually you know call my brother and say, hey, we're okay because I have a little party, and then I, I do it. We do a hands up like who wants to vote for? We well, have score sheets actually, that and so, they, great. so then I'll call my brother and say, okay, can you put a vote in for the Missouri audience, that please? Is and, <laughs> That's great. This year, Israel won. So next Israel. year, it'll be broadcast from huh. probably from Tel Aviv or somewhere in Israel. So whoever wins, say, uh, broadcast the following year. Oh, that's pretty cool that they do the, do the show the following year from the, from the winner's place because you're always moving around to a different country. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Very so cool. some some audiences are huge depending on what arena it's in. We went to Sweden one year when it was in Malmo, and it was kind of a small stadium, about ten thousand people. But uh, it was ten thousand really committed Very Eurovision Song Contest fans. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful up there. Yeah, it that's is. That's a that's a part of the world I'd like to go back to. I haven't been up in the northern Europe part for a long time. I can I can teach you some Swedish. I speak yeah? I speak Swedish. Really? Yeah. That's an interesting language. All I remember is the scene from the movie Splash. <laughs> I, mean, I won't bring it up now. I don't with, even uh, know that John Candy and Tom Hanks. Oh my God! It's one of the funniest things. <laughs> where John Candy's acting like he knows Swedish, and uh, he only knows a few lines from this old movie, and I won't say what kind of movie it is. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's the, the chef in the Muppets, the Swedish chef. You yeah, know, everybody. Of course, right. <laughs> What uh, we got a few minutes? What what what's going on this weekend? Are you going to go to any of these uh, any of these things that are happening this weekend? Well, it is first Friday tonight. Mm. Actually, one thing that I didn't mention earlier on when I was doing the rundown, uh, 
Ken Logston, the photographer, he has a show at Central Bank of Boone County. They have a little gallery hmm. on the corner of 8th and Broadway. So he has a one-man show of his photography. Cool. And that'll be on, I think, from, again, 6 till 9 tonight. What's the, what's the subject matter? I don't know that there is a theme per se. It's just a, a show of his photography. So that's yeah. another another addition. So I'm going to try and catch that this evening and maybe do a quick run around the galleries and see see what is new. Uh, I know um, Linda Hoffman, who is at All Street Studios. Her work is beautiful. So we're definitely worth going to see that one. And of course, the Sega Browders Gallery always has great work. They have a guy called Seth Smith, who's a hmm. Kansas City artist, and yeah. he's going to be in this, this month's show. And his work is phenomenal. I have really? no idea what it costs. I, I would desperately like to own a Seth Smith work but I think probably it's way beyond my are, price range are, are, they, are they big big works I don't know how big they are I don't have a sense I've seen no. them online but I don't have a sense of how big they are but uh, they are these kind of evocative oil paintings of motel scenes hmm. You know, this kind of 1950s style motels and, yeah. and other, they just look beautiful. So I'm, I'm excited to see his work. So that's a big thing that's on um, tonight. I'm not sure if I've got anything on tomorrow. And I definitely want to go and see next week, see uh, Ripcord. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I read He's a really interesting guy. What a, what, what a neat guy that you were just interviewing. Ed, Ed Barrett. Who runs Ed, yeah. uh, Dark Horse, right? Talking Horse. Talking Horse, I'm Talking sorry. Talking Horse Productions. Yeah. And he is retiring. So this is his last show as a producer. And then he hands the reins over to Adam Britsky and uh, Rajara Knight. Mm-hmm. And they'll be taking over and be the co-directors of Talking Horse going forward. And you've spoken to both of them, I think, on the air, haven't you? I have. Uh, Rashara was in for something else, but I haven't spoken to Adam yet. So we'll I have see. them in talking about what they have planned for Talking Horse going forwards. And... Um, um, yeah, Ed will go back to acting and singing, which I think is his first love. But <laughs> he, he is fun. He's, it's been great to watch Talking Horse develop over the last, gosh, eight, nine years, something like that. Right. He's done a great job. At the same time, we had Greenhouse Theatre productions that have come up, and they're amazing too. So we have such fantastic theatre in Colombia. It's phenomenal. You know, we, we, we talk sometimes on my show before yours about just the, the, the great number of opportunities for uh, expression if you are an artist of any sort musician uh, stage actor or a poet or a painter whatever and for the community to, to, to be able to share so many of these different things it's awesome we have a great uh, a great community here I'm so glad to be a part of it so me too me too great actors great musicians great artists it's just a phenomenal city to, to live in thank yeah. you Columbia we thank love you, living here Columbia well are we almost out of time I think we're I think we're getting a little close, so Well I'll do I'll do the sign off then. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOP and Columbia. Meet with me, Diana Moxon, and my co-host and interview <laughs> E Just this once. <laughs> today, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views, and interviews about the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.